This is the Money Seed Podcast, where we discuss all things investing, plain and simple, the way it should be. Please remember, this show is for educational and entertainment purposes only and is not intended to be investment advice. Welcome back to the Money Seed Podcast. Today, my guest is Dave Foster. Dave is a returning guest. Dave is the owner of the 1031investor.com. He is an accountant who specializes in the 1031 exchanges, and he recently published his book called Lifetime Tax-Free Wealth, The Real Estate Investor's Guide to the 1031 Exchange. Dave, welcome back to the show. Dave, it's awesome to be here, and thank you for not calling me a repeat offender. I appreciate that. Dave, I really enjoyed our first discussion back in episode 44. I encourage anyone and everyone who's a real estate investor or is thinking about becoming a real estate investor to check it out because a 1031 exchange is the American government's gift to the real estate investors. For those who are not familiar with it, Dave, just give us a quick introduction. What is the 1031 exchange? Yeah, the easiest way to explain it is that in the tax code for 100 years has been the opportunity for people who own real estate, investment real estate, to sell that real estate. And instead of them paying the tax on the profit, they get to buy new investment real estate and indefinitely defer that. So basically what you're doing is you're getting to use the government's dollars to reinvest for your benefit. Because as long as that stays deferred, you're making the money off of it. So imagine the power of, say, a $20,000 tax bill that you get to use for your benefit. And then the next time that turns into a $40,000 and then an $80,000, and all of a sudden, by the end of your investment career, you're generating income for you made off of $100,000 or $200,000 in the government's money. It's the greatest form of compound interest I can imagine. Absolutely. And I think it's absolutely powerful because it doesn't interrupt the compounding, right? So if you have money invested in real estate and your equity start to grow as you sell one investment property and you buy another one, basically the, the compounding keeps going. You're not interrupting compounding by paying taxes and paying taxes. It just, the equity keeps growing and growing, which is an absolutely amazing vehicle to grow wealth. Yeah. We had a huge discussion. I remember last time on that. Every time you stop and break that chain, it's like two steps, three steps forward, two steps back. With the 1031 exchange, it does. It keeps that compounding going. So it's three steps forward and three steps forward and then six steps forward. And uh, we've had a lot of investors, including myself, that have used this to our benefit over a lifetime. Yeah, I think people in America don't know how lucky they are because many other countries don't have this idea of a 1031 exchange. Many other countries don't even allow depreciation to be an expense on real estate investment. So America is lucky for those two reasons. So if you're a real estate investor in America, it's a great place to be. So Dave, tell us a little bit more about the six requirements to execute a 1031 properly. Well, that's where the devil's in the details, right? So they, the IRS lets us do 1031 exchanges, but the process is very exacting. And if you miss, as you mentioned, the six requirements, if you fail any one of them, your entire exchange is going to fail. So just in a nutshell, 
the requirement is that it has to be investment real estate. So your primary residence or property that you don't hold for investment use or property that you fix and flip does not qualify for 1031 exchanges. We can talk about the fix and flips later because that's a big bugaboo. But your intent has to be to hold, not simply to buy and resell. From the day of the closing of your sale, that's when your 1031 starts. It's a sale followed by a purchase. From the date of your sale, you only have 45 more days to identify your potential replacement. If you can't, then your exchange dies. You only have 180 days from the date of the closing of your sale to complete the entire transaction. So if you're like one of these poor people that we've had all year who were counting on a new build in Cape Coral, Florida, being done by the end of their exchange date in October after Hurricane Ian, it got a little tough. Thank heavens the IRS came through with some extensions. But normally, 180 days, that's it. Now, you can't do it by yourself. You have to use the services of an unrelated third party called the Qualified Intermediary. And the Qualified Intermediary documents your exchange and holds the proceeds because the IRS doesn't trust anybody, right? Let alone you with your own money. So that's what the Qualified Intermediary has to do. You, we always have to make sure because the IRS communicates with us through their tax, through our tax returns. So in order to make sure that they can follow the paper trail of the 1031 exchange, the taxpayer for the old property has to stay the same as the taxpayer for the new property. So you can get into some entity issues and things like that. And then lastly, of course, the reinvestment requirements. The IRS does not want to see you benefit unless they get to benefit. They're kind of selfish that way. So what they've chosen to say is that if you want to defer all tax, you must purchase at least as much as your net sale. And secondly, you must use all of your proceeds to do it. If you buy less than you sell, or if you take money away from the exchange, you can do it, but the IRS says you're taking profit. So you're gonna pay tax on it. So it's very easy if you're not careful to end up in a situation where some or all of your transaction is taxable, which is exactly the thing you want to avoid. So you got to be very careful with them. But the benefit is huge. Absolutely. Dave, tell us about the inspiration behind the book. I mean, you've been working with 1031 exchanges for decades. You yourself have lived a dream life thanks to the 1031 exchange. And now you've written a book. What's it, What can people learn from the book? Well, the book is all about what's occupied my brain for the last 24 years. And that is, number one, achieving dreams. Followed by, number two, avoiding taxation. My entire life is surrounded by avoiding taxation because that's what I've seen as the one thing that separates the people who really make it from those who continue to struggle. Because the common mantra, I mean, you could probably repeat it with me, in real estate is you make your money in real estate 
when you buy it, right? And I get it. It makes total sense because the idea is you've got to find the good deals. If you buy it right, it will make money for you. Very true. But equally important is my own personal mantra, which is what's equally important is that the way you sell it determines how much of that you get to keep. And that takes us all the way back to that compounding effect. So achieving dreams, avoiding taxation, the 1031 exchange, that's been the focus of my life. We took, as you're well aware from our last visit, we took a portfolio of real estate from Denver, Colorado to Connecticut to Florida over the course of 10 years without paying a penny in capital gains tax on real estate transactions and managed to buy a 53-foot sailboat. And there actually is a picture on the back cover of that sailboat that we were able to raise our family on for 10 years using profits from a fleet of vacation rentals that we had all deferred the tax on. And so that really was the inspiration was, man, we found the dream, we achieved it. And what I've loved ever since is helping others get there. So the book's kind of the culmination of that. It gets to tell our story. And there's a lot of their stories of others that have managed to do this themselves in their own way. Because not everybody wants to go live on a sailboat. But we've got people in there that manage to retire tax-free. They manage to get an RV and travel tax-free. They manage to accumulate vacation rentals around the country tax-free. They manage to provide for their children and loved ones tax-free income, all using Section 1031 of the tax code. The 1031 is a fantastic vehicle for wealth accumulation. In your book, Dave, you talk about how people who are novice investors versus intermediate versus experienced investors use the 1031. Outline to us what are some of the differences and how those groups of investors use it. Yeah, you know, we're all on a journey, right, Dave? And as you see my gray hair, I'm on a much different part of the journey than you are. But we're all at a certain place and our needs and our abilities are always different at those point in times. When you're just starting out, young out of college, just getting a job, you probably have bundles of energy and no money. Well, that creates a different needed scenario for you to use to begin to build your wealth than it does say 10 years later when you're kind of getting tired of wielding the hammer, but you've got a little bit more uh, discretionary income that you can use to do things. So novice doesn't just mean I don't have any experience versus the um, the intermediate and advanced. It also means I have different tools and different skills and different needs. When you're a novice, you need education. And you need to find ways to get started that don't take as much money. So for many people, that be, that's becoming the accidental investor where two people get married and they each own a house. And they move into one of the houses, boom, they just became accidental investors. Or what we've done with our children is that we've helped each one of them buy as their first house, either a multifamily while they were in college that they could rent out rooms and the other half too, 
for to to make money while they live for free, or to buy a small multifamily that they can house back. And now they've got their start as investors, and they were able to do it using very advantageous government financing because they're buying small multifamily properties. So those are the kinds of tips and hacks that can propel that novice investor. I like to, I'm kind of fond of saying the novice, the key to the novice investor is that they don't even know what they don't know. So you got to put one foot in front of the other, and just start. Now the intermediate investor kind of starts to know what they don't know, but they also know that they don't know what they don't know. So they're still gathering knowledge because there's always things we can learn, right? But they've started to get experience and a feel for what they like. So you might love multifamily. I personally never got energized by that, but I loved short-term rentals. It was just our thing. I love being able to create travel logs for our renters. I love to be able to meet with them every year when they came down so that they became family. So that was my shtick. But other people might say, I just don't like people. I want to invest in commercial. You know, I don't know. It's all, it's all whatever you like because what you like is what you'll be enthusiastic with. So the intermediate investor is starting to find those avenues. Now, the experienced investor has learned so much that they now know an awful lot that they never thought they'd know, but they still realize there's a little bit more now. So they're cautious to become too cocky, but they're also very willing to play in all different kinds of pools. So they're more market-oriented. An intermediate investor is going to be interest-oriented. A beginning investor is going to be need-oriented. And so, like I said, the, the experienced investor is going to look at the market and say, what's it telling me to do? Is it telling me that now is the time to get out of single family and into vacation rentals? Is it telling me it's time to get out of that and move into triple net commercial or new construction or whatever? But it's the experienced investor has enough knowledge to be able to learn to read the market and do that. And the cool thing is, Gabe, at every step along the way, there's a way that the experienced, the intermediate, and the beginning investor can all use the 1031 exchange to leverage to the next round. I am definitely one of those individuals who got into real estate investing before I had ever heard about the 1031 exchange, right? And so, yeah, you, you have to kind of figure this stuff out as you go along, but Fortunately, there are people like you who write books and come on podcasts to tell us all about it. And for those who want to learn more, what's the best way they can reach out to you? We've created an entire website that is just focused on education, how people can use the 1031 exchanges, calculators, access to us personally for calls, videos, and everything. And of course, if I got a new book out, you can check it out on Amazon. I love how it, it really is designed to take you throughout your life stage by stage and use the 1031. And uh, I'll let you pump it if you want. I'll put those links into the show notes, Dave, because this book is quite, quite good. I'm definitely going to get a copy myself as well. 
Again, the book is called Lifetime Tax-Free Wealth, The Real Estate Investor's Guide to the 1031 Exchange. And you can visit Dave at 1031investor.com. And please make sure you check out episode 44 of the Money City Podcast, where Dave and I go into more details on, I remember you and I talked about things like how to get out of the 1031 exchange, how to basically, what are some of the off ramps so that you don't get stuck with a huge capital gains tax bill at the end of the road. There's all kinds of uh, good tips that you had for us in that episode as well. Let's give you a test real quick. Do you remember the four Ds? Yes. What was the first D? Defer. Second one was defer. Third one was defer. And I think the fourth one was defer or maybe death. I don't, I don't recall. Death. It was to die. Exactly. As long as you keep selling and doing 1031s, you can move your property into any time, anywhere in the country, from active to passive. And when you die, your heirs get it at a step up in basis. So the tax literally disappears. So I don't know how you get much better. I was quite, quite amazed when I first heard it. I, I didn't think the tax code was going to be that good to real estate investors. Because usually I can't, I start from like basically no expectation, right? Like the base expectation is the tax code is out there to just basically screw me over. And when I heard about the 1031 exchange with some of the tricks that you mentioned in the other episode, as well as your book, Dave, I was quite pleasantly surprised that there are some really nice gifts that the IRS has given us. Here's a different way to think about that. Instead of thinking, and I'm with you, it's like the IRS and screw you. That kind of goes hand in hand. But a mentor of mine once said, Dave, Think of the tax code, not as their attempt to get money, but think of it as a behavior incentivizer. And if you perform certain behaviors the way they want, they reward you with lower taxation. The 1031 exists because a vibrant, healthy, and active real estate market. In the early days, it was an agricultural land market that they needed. And farmers could not sell their farms and buy bigger farms because they would have to pay the tax in between. So it kept them from going bigger. It kept new farmers from starting. And our nation desperately needed agribusiness. Now, put that in today's perspective. Without the 1031 exchange, I'm not going to sell my properties. So that means the person waiting to buy less expensive properties can't get in. It means the realtors go hungry, inspectors go hungry, title companies go hungry. 1031 feeds a lot of people. And all it costs the government is some capital gains money. So they really do want to see it in place. That's a great way to describe it. So yes, I agree. The tax code is a way to incentivize people to behave in a certain way that benefits the country. And uh, I think that's a great way to look at it. Let's end that on a positive note. Dave, thanks very much for joining us today. And uh, I hope to have you back in the future, man. You're a very entertaining guest. Uh, We had a lot of good feedback on the first time you were on as well. Hey, my pleasure. Anytime. Have a great day. Thanks. Hey, thanks for joining us for another episode of the Money Seed Podcast. Please remember to click like and subscribe. It really helps spread the message to other investors and it helps attract new viewers to the show. We appreciate your support. Thanks very much.